Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. everyone, welcome to Tennis.com Podcast. I'm your usual host, Nina Pantic. I'll be joined in this episode by my co-host, Irina Falcone, as well as our special guest, Ryan Harrison. 27-year-old American has been ranked as high as number 40 in the world. That happened in 2017, the year he won the French Open doubles title with his friend Michael Venus and won his first ATP singles title in Memphis. We catch up with Ryan while he's literally working out at the track during the quarantine era, and he's hoping to get back on the tour sooner rather than later as he just came back from elbow surgery and was trying to work through his first few matches before the coronavirus ended the tours. We talked to him about his passion for team tennis, doubles, world team tennis, and Davis Cup, and talk about his family, as his brother is also a pro player, and his dad, Patrick, has served as his coach. But the biggest thing Ryan talks about is the ups and downs in his career and how the online social media haters have not gotten to him. Let's jump into our episode with Ryan Harrison. All right, Ryan, welcome to Tennis.com Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thanks a lot for having me. Happy to be with you guys. Awesome. Let's start with one of our favorite questions these days is how is your quarantine life going? What's your setup like? Oh, it's pretty good. Um, we're lucky we have a little home gym, so I've been able to stay active. Um, and there's a, a track that's close by, so I can I can stay distanced, um, you know, away from people and still run a little bit. But like most people, I'm going a little stir crazy at times. But we're uh, we're all set, just doing as best we can to do our part to hopefully get this virus behind the country. And where are you right now? Are you, uh, I know it says on ATP your your residence is Atlanta. Is that right, or somewhere else? Yeah, it's Atlanta now. Uh, we moved here probably about a year ago, um, so we're we're all set here in Atlanta and just kind of hunkered down and and hopefully hopefully be traveling again soon. Although I can say that this you know in the foreseeable future, anyways, we got a few months at, at home. Okay, so recently you had elbow surgery on something called a torn extensor tendon, tendon. But you yes. you you made your comeback in January. So are you fully healthy? Or are you able to use this time to kind of do even more rehab? Yeah, that's a really fancy way of saying tennis elbow. So tennis elbow is basically tendonitis in that tennis uh, tendon right there. And for me, I had more than just the basic tendonitis. I had a tear in it. So it was tough to diagnose because so many tennis players are accustomed to getting tennis elbow that that's what they thought it was initially. So um, it was a little tricky for us to figure out that there was an actual tear in there. But yeah, after getting surgery, I had a great surgeon up in New York, Dr. Dines, who's uh, been on the Davis Cup and, and Fed Cup teams for a while. He's done a great job. So he did my surgery and, and did a great job. So I was able to start back in January with tournaments again. And I'm feeling really good. I was uh, excited to get the season started. But like a lot of us, uh, you know, disappointed that it's on hold now. So when you came back in January, I mean, you're clearly all healthy. Five tournaments in a, in a row. I mean, that goes to show that your elbow was just fine. Did you feel like, okay, maybe this whole quarantine is a good way to just continue the rehab or were you kind of like, what the heck, I'm really making a, you know, a run here, I'm back in action. Like, what are your thoughts on the whole thing? 
for my career, it had a, a couple positives and a couple negatives. Um, obviously, I'm trying to focus on the positives, and those would be that it gives me extra time to get in shape because I missed a lot of off-season training. Whenever I would have been doing a lot of practicing and a lot of a lot of getting ready for the season, I was actually just in rehab, so I missed a lot of that that training that you would have normally done for a couple months to get yourself prepped. So my first few tournaments, it was. Uh, it was a bit tricky because I felt like I was trying to figure out things on the fly in tournaments, whereas usually you'd like to be a little bit more dialed in before you got back out there. Um, you know, and then the, the negatives are, you know, I, I spent so much time injured and rehabbing and then to get back on the tour, it was it was one of those things where I was just disappointed that I had worked so hard to come back and then have to stop again. But, you know, we're all we're all disappointed about that for different reasons. I mean, the only person that timed this all right is Roger Federer getting surgery just before. So you're a little off. It's okay. Mm -hmm. Everyone's going to get through this in some capacity. I think the most interesting thing is that we're all in this together. It's not like someone's missing a part of the tour. It's like we're all missing the tour. Yeah, definitely. I I think that Roger Federer's health actually determines the fate of the world. So we need to make sure he is continually his rehab and he gets back on tour because I feel like it's going to follow his path because he's, you know, he's, he's majestical in that way. <laughs> exactly what I meant. Before all this went down, you actually played one of the last pro events that we've had, uh, the World Team Tennis Celebrity All-Star Match. It was in San Diego on March 1st. What was that experience like, that match? Really cool. Um, you know, it turned out to where one of the players, Maria, was uh, was prepped to play, and then she made her retirement announcement right before that. So we were all excited to see her out there. And then just to be on court with a number of different players that I've looked up to. Um, we had some legends out there. I was just alongside Marty Fish with the doubles and played against James and Sam and the Bryans. And so it was uh, really cool because I remember watching all those guys playing Davis Cup and playing a lot of different um, you know, big matches for the USA. I just remember being there and, and watching them and idolizing them. So to be on the court with all of them at the same time was a unique and cool experience. And you also got to play against the Bryans in what was also an exhibition-style match in Delray. I remember I was there, and you and, you and Christian stepped in for that. That must have been fun as well. Yeah, it was. Um, Bob and Mike are in their last season right now, and you know they've had just historic careers. I mean, what they've done for the doubles is just incredible. I, I really have looked up to them. They've been so kind to me from the from the start. Um, you know, I'm coming back from this injury like we talked about, and Bob and I were out there hitting a couple days in San Diego, and, and Bob was actually out there like working with me on different sorts of parts of my game helping me out and that just goes to show you how good of guys they are I mean they're legends they're going to be in the hall of fame on first ballot and then you got a guy out there who's just you know spending time hitting with me making sure that I get my work in to be ready to go and then not only doing that but actually helping with some pointers and advice and so um, both of them have always done that I mean this was an isolated incident with Bob but with Mike also he's been that way as well. It's not every day where you can say the Bryan brothers are pretty much on your court helping you out and giving you pointers. And I mean, clearly something must have stuck because you are a Grand Slam champion. French Open 2017. I mean, that must have been a hell of an experience. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, that was a cool experience. Um, You know, it happened with my my buddy and one of my best friends, Michael Venus, who trained with me growing up. Um, you know, we, we knew each other whenever I was 12 years old is when we met. So we have a lot of history there of training together and my dad had coached us both growing up. So we knew each other extremely well, uh, prior to that partnership. 
But, um, you know, I was really fortunate to have been a part of a number of different tournaments that the Bryans have been around. And I've always really enjoyed the time to get on court with them, even if it was playing uh, a late doubles afternoon practice set or at any point in time, just, you know, helping them out when they were still in the tournament. And maybe I'd lost early and getting out there with them. So they've always kind of given me pointers here and there and, and helped me transition my uh, singles play and what my normal style is is into playing good doubles and so you know us, along with that and having great chemistry with my partner we were kind of uh in a good spot going into the french and we, we felt good about what we could do and you know i don't think that anyone including ourselves were expecting the title but we were certainly just taking it one match at a time and trying to beat the opponents in front of us and at the end of the day we were able to, to get it done it's always the times when you don't expect something to happen that the unexpected kind of happens and you know to have played with Michael. I'm sure it was great. And to have the Bryan brothers, I mean, I, I get that they're twins and they have that whole twin thing that they can pretty much read where the other is going. When you've played with Christian before, do you feel like you have something similar to that? Yeah, I, I think that when you're used to being with someone out there every day, you, you know what people do well. Um, you see them every day in practice and you know what they're working on. And Christian and I have always trained together and pushed each other. So we know exactly what we're going to do when we get out there. I mean, without having to know um, or talk about it, we know who's playing what side and who's who's really comfortable going where. Um, you know, when he gets certain balls on the court, I know his tendencies when it comes to where he's going to play. So that helps me getting prepared for the next shot. Um, and those are things that a lot of different teams have to talk about and rehearse time and time again to, to get to that chemistry. And, you know, when it's your brother and someone you grew up with, um, I, I can't really explain it. You just almost see it and feel it happening before it happens based on each situation. And you've been coached by your dad, Pat, as well. So this, this tennis story for you has been a family affair from day one, which according to Wikipedia was the age of two. Is that true? <laughs> yeah. I mean, two is a, you know, a crazy number when it thinks, you know, when you think about starting age of tennis. And so for me, that was more just like going to work and being active with my dad. Um, two years old, I started, you know, running around and trying to pick up balls and rackets and hit them around. And so for my dad being a coach and going to the courts every day, you know, he brought me out there all the time just to be around me. He wanted to, he wanted to be around me and my brother and my sister a lot growing up. So um, we were on the courts all the time. And, and as soon as I could walk, it really, he started putting things in my hands like baseball bats and rackets and golf clubs. And I wish the golf clubs would have been a little bit more there because my golf swing needs some work, but the tennis seemed to work and it stuck. And for me to be out there with them and experience it at a young age, tennis has truly been like a focal point of bonding for our lives. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Hey guys, Irina here. Today we're with ATP player Ryan Harrison, talking about how he has been able to handle trolls and haters throughout his entire tennis career. Keep listening. It's also kind of remarkable to think about your tennis story because it extends even further because you've married someone who's a tennis player who's the sister of pro tennis player Christina McHale. You married Lauren McHale in 2017. Did you guys meet through tennis? I presume so. Yes, we did. Um, growing up, Christina and I were always on the same junior teams together. And she was around quite a bit. And 
her mom was traveling a lot. And so we saw, we saw them a lot, my family and their family. And so, um, you know, just growing up, you, you travel a lot on the road, you are there alone a lot of times, if not just with one other person, like your coach or whoever's there with you. And so you're always looking for that, um, you know, distraction at times to kind of relax and calm down. And, um, with Lauren being on the road with Christina, that was really how we started to connect because she wasn't actually playing in the tournament. So anytime that, uh, you know, I was looking for someone to just talk to or, or really kind of share what I was going through with, she was just always there. And so that was how, you know, we really started connecting. That's an awesome story. I, I love both Lauren and Christina and Christina's a very close friend of mine. So it really is a tennis family affair for both families here. And I just wanted to follow up on your golf comment. So you're talking about how your swing needs a little bit of work. Over here in Florida, we actually can still go and play golf with the whole quarantine and the virus going on. Can you still go out there and play and go to the driving range and stuff? Or are you totally on lockdown where you cannot even go and practice your golf swing? No, I've been able to get out there and hit some golf balls. Um, I've just been going out alone in the afternoons whenever the course is wide open and and not really playing with anyone. and, And I've been walking is to not really you know be on the cart where other people have been i've been keeping my distance but uh it's been a good time to try and dial in my golf game i'd like to try and be better than i am right now but i need some practice and i'm working on it uh, i'll get there though i've got some passion for it so hopefully post-career and whatever it is 15 years or so i'll uh i'll be more competent out there than i am now you can be like marty fish and pick up that pro golf career afterwards marty's golf swing is uh unbelievable but don't tell him i said that if he asked what i said just tell him i said it was awful <laughs> hopefully he doesn't listen to this then yeah you played on the davis cup team as well you played last year um 2018 sorry i don't even know what year it is anymore i think time time is nothing to us that's um, okay we're all going back to last year let's just forget 2020 it's 2019 still it's 2019 still yeah so 2018 you had a you had a couple of experiences on davis cup team what does team tennis mean to you because i know you've had a couple of years as a world team tennis member as well i mean you seem to enjoy this atmosphere surely Growing up, we always had this mindset that we didn't really take the uh, subtle approach to how we viewed competing. So there was a lot of conversation, a lot of trash talk between my brother and I. And we were very used to just that sort of conversation and that sort of pressure. So when it comes to Davis Cup and team tennis, it is more similar in that regard because there's more encouragement when it comes to just like the fan engagement and especially in Davis Cup there can be some animosity and some people who are trying to get at you and I feel like just based on growing up with it that that's always been something that I was able to use it as a tool to to help me and it it just naturally fits my personality um you know when I when I feel that sort of pressure and tension it helps me want to want to find a way to to get it done and maybe in another match where if it was just me and I wasn't playing for a team or in that sort of environment, I would have been more susceptible to, to not playing my best or to losing my head a little bit. But in those situations, um, I feel like it's extra pressure to really get myself um, in the best frame of mind I can to be successful. I've actually seen you play world team tennis a few times. And I mean, that camaraderie, that team, like you just bring it to your team. And I just wanted to know, like, were you ever in consideration, like for college? Did you ever think that was the route to go since you just love being in that team atmosphere? I turned pro young. I was 14 when I turned pro. So I was not really looking at schools yet. Um, I've always looked at the guys who played in school and, and kind of had a little bit of like, a you know, man, maybe that would have been fun. But I know that, you know, my path was different. And I, I certainly 
appreciate my path, but I, but I do think that I would have been a really, um, you know, fun player in, in the team atmosphere of college. I think that it could have fit my personality. And I think that, uh, playing for a team and trying to, you know, battle for NCAAs and those sorts of experiences that a lot of really great players, um, have, have gone on to have great careers on tour, like an Isner or somebody like that, James Blake, those guys, you, you look at them, but when they talk about their college days, it's some of the most exciting memories of their life. You can just see when John Isner talks about Georgia, it just is a different light up in his, in his demeanor. Um, and that just shows you how much passion he had for his time there. You've had some significant success as a pro. I mean, you were top 40 in 2017. You won, we mentioned the French Open doubles title, but you also won a singles title in Memphis, which no longer exists that tournament. But that must have been a massive breakthrough milestone for you. Yeah, it was. Um, and it wasn't just because of, you know, being my first title. My first title was, was really important and it was a memorable moment, but it happened in a, in a town that was the closest town to where we had a, a, a pro tournament growing up. I was born in Shreveport, Louisiana, which is only about a five and a half hour drive to Memphis. So whenever I was growing up, there was a number of different times that we drove up there to watch pro tennis. And so um, it was special because it was my first title, but it was also special because it was the closest uh, pro event at the ATP level to where I grew up totally unrelated to what you just said i'm sorry <laughs> but we were talking a little bit about how, how your dad was the one that kind of brought you up in tennis and everything do you still work with him like is it ever been has there ever been a point where you're like "Ooh, maybe i need to go into you know a different direction with my um coaching staff or is he still like very much in your career at all times on the court the traveling is different as you become a pro you start to travel 25 30 weeks a year so your coach is not necessarily the person that you work with at your home base anymore as it is most of the time in in junior tennis you have uh you know a coach that you work with at home and then typically they either take a big group to the tournament or you go back and, and you work with them at home and then you travel to, to the tournaments on the weekends or whenever it might be but when you become a pro uh, the travel schedule is just grueling and, and you have to have somebody who's there in your corner all the time. And so for my dad, having his job working at the academy, we had to find a solution to where, you know, he could stay involved because he does know my game better than anyone, but also get somebody who could work, um, you know, on the road, work with us and, and really be in sync with my vision and my dad's tennis vision about how I was going to get better. So um, I've been fortunate that I've had a lot of coaches that have been really, really good working with him. And, you know, for whatever reason, uh, coaching relationships in and you move on. But I know that, like, my path has always included my dad being there and, and having him been the constant. It's amazing that you have such family support. It's super important. I think tennis can be so lonely, especially, you know, when you're going through ups and downs. And in uh, in researching for the show, I was stalking your Instagram, which I, I mean, I, honestly, I, I stalk Instagram all the time, but more so for this. And I noticed <laughs> that some of the comments on your page are on, honestly particularly vicious. What's your what's your handling of people on social media that are trying to be uh, haters and trolls and how do you deal with it? Because I noticed that you leave these comments up. Um, I don't really look at them, to be honest with you. When they, when they come out... Um... I feel like engagement with those sorts of interactions kind of promotes people to think that they're maybe getting to you or that they have a voice in your head that maybe they don't have, or if they do have it, it's something that I don't believe should be one that a lot of athletes or figures take to take to heart because, um, you know, for whatever reason, athletes and, and entertainers are always, um, you know, you have fans and you have people who don't, don't like you and, 
I, I think that it's really important to cherish your people who you're supported uh, by and that are looking up to you and, and try to do your best to make a good example. But I think that part of being that good example is also showing how to deal with backlash and how to deal with people who are, for whatever reason, just uh, have a hateful, hateful mindset or a hateful spite. So my biggest reason for not taking them down instantly or going through and cleaning that out is because I don't really engage it and I don't really entertain it. And I, I feel like um, maybe if you're a Twitter troll and you go on there and you see that he, you know he's been lit up 400 other times by somebody else, that your comment really doesn't matter and doesn't have a say in, in what he's uh, he's thinking. And that that's how I view it, really. I think that if I show them that they don't have a, a voice in my head, that it doesn't really give them that satisfaction. I had a feeling you'd have a very mature like take on this. That's kind of why I wanted to bring it up. And uh, I, I wanted to hear how you're handling it. And obviously, as expected, really well. It's hard. It's hard. I mean, to be honest with you, a lot of people struggle with it. And I can understand why, because, um, you know, we're in an individual sport and it's it's hard when you don't have a ton of team around you to to rely on to pick you up and, you know, talk about things. and, And it's hard. And so a lot of times when you come back after a tough loss and the first thing you do is you go to your hotel room and you're alone in there. And then the first thing a lot of people do is is check because they want to see what did people think about my performance? What did that look like? How did that how did that come across? And, and then at times um, it can be a bad decision, especially after a loss, because um, a lot of times it might not even have been anything you did out there that is is warranting backlash. It's just people who either, you know, bet on the match or just have a, a fan that is, is just not a, a nice fan. They, they can say some awful things. And so I just hope that, um, you know, moving forward that more, more and more people are able to, you know, be monitored when it comes to that because the last thing you want to see is people's psyche really getting messed with because of it. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey everyone, you're listening to the Tennis.com podcast with special guest Ryan Harrison. He's telling us about his passion for team sports, be it doubles, world team tennis, or Davis Cup. Keep listening. Was there ever a moment um, where it did affect you or like, have you always been like super mature about this? Because I mean, you turned pro at 14 and by then, you know, you had the Facebooks, you had Twitter and I'm sure that they were already writing really vicious things by then. Like, were you from the very beginning just trying to give them absolutely like no edge on you or was it something that took lots of time and lots of, you know, deleted comments and Tell us a little bit about how you got to the level of maturity that you're at now to handle these trolls. Yeah, it definitely took some time. Um, growing up, my first first times playing on tour, um, there was there was excitement because I was young and I'd started to break through. And when I broke into the top 100 as a teenager, there was a lot of positive things being said about you. So you kind of get excited about reading at that point because it's just all positive. You, you see this hype and this excitement around you. Um, and that's the, that's the first thing you see. So I remember 
uh, Googling my name before I was on Twitter and Googling, searching, uh, you know, what the articles were, most of them being um, positive at that time because there was hype and there was excitement around what my career could manifest into. And then following that, um, I, around 21, 22 years old, I had a ranking drop. And the ranking drop was a really big eye-opener for me for a number of reasons. But that's the first time that you see, uh, you know, people who were on your side, you know, it, it might have been fair weather or people who were writing positive things about you are now coming down on you. And when you're Google searching your name, you're seeing uh, negative and, and really uh, bad thoughts that you don't really want to be reading about yourself. And so for me, um, that sort of period of my life was was tough because I had to try and figure out, you know, at 21, 22, 23 years old, um, how I was going to prevent myself or how I was going to uh, turn my career back around into a positive direction where, you know, the later stages of my career could be more successful than the early stages. And so, uh, understanding how to deal with that was a, a big part of that. Also, you know, it's eye opening because you realize it at the negative moments, who are the most, uh, supportive people around you that have this undenying confidence and belief in you. Um, all athletes know that there's a lot of, uh, you know, ups and downs and volatilities and, and your confidence. And there's a couple people who have this, uh, ability to make you believe in yourself and trust yourself, even when you might doubt yourself. And those are the people that you want to have a voice in your head. You don't want to have, um, outside and fair weather comments that are, that are affecting how you might feel about yourself. You've touched on one of the most important things I've noticed in the sport is having that right support system. And it's great to hear that you figured that out. And it's just a shame that now, I mean, you're 27, you still have, I think, a good chunk of career left. It's a shame that now, as you were trying to make your comeback, everything's come to a halt. But we want to end on a lighter note. And you mentioned Google there. So we have a, three random questions we want to ask you. They're kind of fun to end things on, on a happy time. Um, and okay. they're just quick, quick fire so you can answer in however many words you want. Um, okay. So my first question to you is, what's the last thing that you Googled on your phone? Uh, the last thing I Googled would have been uh, Cobb County pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. What what did you find from that? <laughs> I found that uh, the number of cases in my county has gone up quite a bit in the last uh, day or so. So I was I was Google searching that this morning when I was trying to decide if it was a good idea to come out to the track and if I was going to be around anybody. And fortunately, uh, I'm alone, so there's nobody around me. I'm good. I'm, I'm getting my distance and still getting my workout in. But uh, I wanted to make sure that I'm aware of, you know, how how things are, are transpiring in my area. Good, good. That's fair. I mean, you're, you're keeping informed. Um, so unfortunately, the Olympics has been postponed for a year. But what non-tennis sport would you play in the Olympics? In the Olympics? Hmm, that's a really good question because my favorite second sport would be football, but that's not an Olympic sport. So, um, shoot, I, I really love watching the swimming. I think the swimming is extremely cool. Um, you know, those guys and girls just do such a great job of, of representing the country and representing, um, you know, themselves and their team and, and the event. And I think that it's really cool to, to see a number of different races and relays. And then I love watching the, uh, the parts where everybody's together, I, I forget what they're called. Um, whenever, you know, it's, it's a team event and everybody runs and they are races in the same event. I, I love that atmosphere. It's really cool. I remember exactly where I was sitting when, uh, 
Michael Phelps closed out that one race. And then, uh, and then I forget who it was, his name, um, that he, that he closed out and won by one hundredth of a second in the 2012 Olympics, or maybe it was 2008, whenever, whenever he did that. But it was the coolest thing I've ever seen. I literally only know Michael Phelps, so I feel you on not quite being sure on the names. All right, our last yeah. question. Our last question here is, what what question do you hate hearing impressed the most? What question do I hate hearing impressed the most? I, I would say anything to do with, like, why did you do that at that certain time? Or, um, you know, why did, you know, what were you thinking? And the the it's just the most generic question of all time. But, you know, everybody when you're in the moment is just doing exactly what you think's best. And anybody who's played tennis knows that, you know, it's not one of those sports where each shot is rehearsed. You know, you're, you're making a lot of decisions in, in fractions of a second. And so I can't tell you exactly why things go through my mind and why did I decide to randomly hit a drop shot in the middle of the court on a deuce point, but it certainly wasn't well thought out planned from a, you know, for, for days, it was just something that popped into my head in that second. And uh, for whatever reason I tried it, and those are tough questions to answer because you, you don't really have an answer. It's almost like, uh, well, that's just what through, went through my head at the time. And so that's why I did it. <laughs> it's so funny to have Nina, a journalist, asking these questions because it's only getting her better for her future questions for tennis players. But um, it's training. But um, we'll let you get back to your track training and just want to say thank you so much for spending some time with us during these difficult times and um, hope you uh, kick that track's ass. Thanks a lot. I'm trying to, trying to stay in shape and uh, look forward to seeing you guys back on the tour, hopefully sooner than later. But I'll, uh, I'll keep social distance as much as I can and do my part. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, guys. From the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, this has been the Tennis.com Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to stay caught up. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and every major listening app, as well as Tennis.com slash podcasts. You can also see the videos of our episodes on Tennis Channel's YouTube page and Tennis.com's Facebook page. We're your hosts, Nina Pantic and Irina Falcone. We'd like to thank our team, editor and audio designer and video editor, Christina Koseva, producers Alexa March and Sean O'Malley and executive producers Shelby Coleman, Kyle Einhorn and Andy Chu. 